Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. Hello to everybody joining us online today, our online campus. I hope all of you are doing well wherever you are in the world. Um, And uh, it's so good to see all of you who've joined us here at 747, um, which is the address uh, here at our worship center uh, in West Orange. So um, if we haven't met, my name's Terry Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at the Life Christian Church, and I hope to have an opportunity to meet you before the, uh, the day is over. So big uh, week here at the Life Christian Church uh, as we uh, embark on our uh, Christmas village and shows, and it should be a great week. Hope that you're going to come. Hope that you're going to bring lots of friends and um, that this will be a week where lots of hope is spread uh, here and from here. And I know that this is a busy season for uh, pretty much everybody, right? Is there anybody who's not busy during... Well, is there anybody who's ever not busy? A. B. This season, it all kind of steps up big time. I was at a party last night, by the way, um, where uh, I was talking to a... uh, I was talking to uh, a a longtime councilwoman here in town who said that she had just come from another event with a member of our congregation um, uh, to the online campus. I'm pointing to someone in the front row, Megan Brill, who had just so sold our Christmas show that this councilwoman had just gone and purchased tickets online. So good job with that. Um, and it was kind of fun, you know, just the first person I bumped in at this, to at this party had just bought tickets to come next week. So listen, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be a great, great week. It's a great opportunity to bring your friends. And um, uh, so listen, last week I... Uh, cast vision for this coming season of ministry at the Life Christian Church. If you're a a TLCC regular and you didn't hear me speak last week, um, uh, I would really encourage you to go online and to watch last week's talk. Not that it was a great sermon. Its purpose wasn't to be a great sermon. I wouldn't call it a great sermon. Uh, Its purpose was to uh, talk about where we believe God is leading us, particularly as it concerns our desire to spread God's love in ever-widening circles. And we talked uh, at some length about our Plus Life local and global missions uh, uh, initiatives where we partner with uh, many partners, both locally and internationally, to serve people in need and to share the good news about Jesus. And uh, we talked about some of the other initiatives that uh, we're moving towards in this coming year. And we did that f- for a lot of reasons. For the most important reason, it's, it's important every once in a while, I think, for people to hear from their pastor about the vision of the church and where we're going and why and, and how you can be a part of it. Uh, another reason that we took time to do that, as we do now every year, Vision Sunday, first Sunday of December, is that uh, we are uh, in the process of gathering pledges and giving people an opportunity to give towards our Christmas offering. 
Um, and our hope this year is, by God's grace, to receive an offering uh, between now and Easter of $500,000 to fund all of the good stuff that we're trying to do, both in this area, uh, this region, and, and around the world. And so we're excited about that, and we're off to a great start. And um, one, of our, one of our key partners is Convoy of Hope. I referenced this last week. Convoy of Hope has gotten a lot of play around here, uh, especially during COVID, because Convoy of Hope is perhaps, and I'm, I think, think I can say this with some confidence, the, um, the missions partner that we've worked with uh, who, has, who has done more for us than we've done for them. And uh, I'm particularly I'm talking about, well, let, let me just go back and say that we got involved in Convoy of Hope, and I'm about to introduce a, a regional director of Convoy of Hope is going to come and share the message today. So that's where this is going, okay? We got involved with Convoy of Hope a number of years ago because of the amazing work they do around disaster relief. And we needed a partner that we knew would be on the ground and that we would be there because we're connected with them and giving to them regularly and participating with them in other ways. And um, since that time, there have been some amazing things that have happened around our ability to project ourselves into areas of need, to spread God's love in ever-widening circles because of our partnership with Convoy of Hope. A big example of that would be uh, our work in Puerto Rico, where we were able to send teams and money and participate in, in distributing goods uh, uh, in our partnership with Convoy of Hope. And uh, last year, when COVID hit, um, uh, there was a, there were scores of churches requesting that Convoy show up with one of their semi-truck, uh, uh, tractor trailers, uh, full of some $75,000 worth of relief supplies. And because of the relationship we have with Convoy, we got moved to the top of the list and, uh, early in, 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 uh, the COVID, ep uh, pandemic, uh, a tractor trailer of, of good shows up from Convoy of Hope, one of three uh, that came to us, and then uh, uh, one of our partners in Plus Life Local, the uh, the uh, 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 not soup kitchen isn't the proper term, but a partner that we have in Teaneck, let's call it a soup kitchen. Um, Food pantry, I believe, is the right thing to say in Teaneck, uh, and and so that made huge impact. Um, and and then I know that when tornadoes hit Kentucky, like they did yesterday, we're there. We're there because of our partnership with Convoy of Hope. They're there. They're already there. They're already taking. So when you read all that horrific stuff about what's happening in Kentucky, our church is there because we have a partner in Convoy of Hope and we're helping to fund what they're doing there. And so uh, now this relationship has grown. We have a partner that we can trust and we've decided that one of our uh, major initiatives this year is a commitment that we're making to help solve the problem of 
hunger in a very sustainable way in Guatemala. And, and Jack Reisner will speak to that a little bit more here in a few moments. But what an amazing thing. You know, one of the most important things about being a part of a local church is that you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And you get to be a part of doing the works of Jesus. And for us, there are a lot of ways to do that right here, but we also get to be a part of spreading God's love in ever-widening circles. Jack Reisner uh, was a lead pastor for 41 years, um, had a very successful uh, pastoral ministry, felt called to get involved in compassion ministry, joined the team at Convoy of Hope some years ago, now serves as a regional director. He has become a friend. He was with us last year during COVID when we were out on the roof in the heat, having outdoor services, uh, Jack came and was a part of one of our services, and we've developed a friendship, and I'm grateful for him. You're going to enjoy what he has to say today. Your life is going to expand because of what you hear him say today, and the mission of Jesus is going to move forward because of what you hear him say. Please give a great big welcome to Jack Reisner. It feels like last year got put on pause. But thanks to you, we have seen more people served and more lives changed by the love of Jesus than ever before. We are the Helping Hands Food Pantry of Teaneck. She was in the hospital for 17 days and then was put on um, a ventilator and then she didn't make it. I'm still waiting for her to walk through the door. We had to close, but we had limited resources. When sometimes you don't, with no pun intended, you don't feel there's hope. Your truck came rolling in. You gave us that little oomph we needed to get back and fight for what we need to do around here. You inspired a lot of broken people to get back up. They say God moves in mysterious ways. I came in a truck to travel. <laughs> you make stories like this possible. Thank you. TLCC. Oh, that was putrid. Try again. Good morning, TLCC. That's better. Good to see you and you folks online. We are. I'm just so delighted to be here. I, I already love this church. The connection that I've had here, and in just spending time with Pastor Terry and Sharon last night, and and seeing where our lives have connected together. Uh, this church is just so hospitable, you know that, and, and the love you, you share uh, is tangible. You, can really, you really sense it. As I, as I watched last week to see um, what your vision was, I was just overwhelmed, and, and I, I came up with three phrases that I think describe you as I watched that and, and what I know about you. Uh, the first is that you're gracefully strategic. I love that. You're, you're energetic visionaries. And you are aggressively compassionate. And I love that. 
So on behalf of Hal Donaldson and the Convoy of Hope team, I'm here to tell you thank you. Thank you for making stories like that one possible. Thank you that we're on the ground in Mayville, Kentucky this morning distributing because of you. Absolutely. So this morning, I want to take a few moments and, and look at some stories of compassionate generosity. And the first story is just right in front of our faces. I, I have this saying that during this season, the world is singing our songs. And, and they're singing about the one that, that we have fallen in love with, the one that, that has given us compassion. One of my favorite songs during this season is Oh Holy Night. Anybody else? You like that song? I can't sing it all the way through. It's way too high for me. But I love that song. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees and, and then you rip into that chorus and it's just, it's an amazing song. And my interpretation of that is this. The world is messed up, and humanity has become devalued. We don't understand our worth. We don't understand our value, and, and this one was born, a rescuer. And wherever that rescuer would go, wherever he would show up, humanity began to feel its worth, began to feel its value, and begin to have a hope that tomorrow can be better than today, that there is, there is a, there's a way that we can dream for something much better. So what does that look like? Well, go with me 30 years after this, after the manger. 30 years later, you, you can hear the, 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 the crunch of the bow of the boat as it, as it slides up on this rocky shore. And as Jesus' feet touch the shallow water, he is rushed by someone straight out of the exorcist. And here's how the story goes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. And whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. And no one, no one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. So can we, can we just pause there for a moment? Because this is not some caricature. This is, this is not some fictional character. This is not a Hollywood actor in heavy makeup. This is a real person. I can just imagine that within this region, which was called the Decapolis, 10 cities. In one of those cities, there may have been a mom every night who, who cried herself to sleep because she couldn't figure out what happened to her son. And now where is he? And is he safe? And perhaps every other day she would send out his brothers to try to find him and, and tie him up and shackle him so that he wouldn't hurt himself or other people. So let's give this man some dignity. Let's at least give him a name, and not the name that the, that the demons would use to mock him. So let's just, this morning, just give him a name. Let's just call him Jason for the sake of this story. Anybody here named Jason? I apologize to you already. <laughs> Something happened that made Jason snap. Somehow he became this, this violent, 
uncontrollable, mentally ill, hell-bent crazy man who lived in these cave condos called the tombs. A perfect place to bury the dead and a perfect place to drop off somebody who was dead to you. Somebody who did not fit in society. Someone whose issues were beyond our ability to fix. Somebody who is outside our margins of safety and comfort. In fact, we still use that term today. Somebody is marginalized. You're not welcome into our community, and we certainly don't cross over to yours. What do you do with someone like Jason? A guy who's so freakishly strong, who howls at night and day, whose scream at night would cause the, the hair on the back of your neck to stand up, who would run through the, the hills and sometimes dash through the cities totally naked, but it wasn't a pretty naked, it was an ugly naked because he spent all day long cutting himself with sharp rocks. And so you see this image of this one howling and screaming who's so strong you can't stop him, and here he comes, this man matted with blood and scars. What do you do with someone like that? Well, you push them away. For safety's sake, you push them away. You can't deal with it, so you push him away. This man who was in despair, and despair simply means this, that tomorrow will be no better than today. This man who has no hope in his settled place. Watch what Jesus does with those society marginalizes and forgets. Jesus doesn't see issues. He sees people. I have this image in my head that as Jason is running toward Jesus, the disciples are scurrying back to the boat, climbing over each other, trying to get in that boat and out before Jason arrives. But Jesus doesn't run. Jesus does unthinkable. He crosses the margin. He goes beyond where he should go. And I think that is the heart that impressed Hal Donaldson. 1969, Hal Donaldson and his two brothers and sister were home with a babysitter while his pastor dad and, and mother were at a church business meeting. About an hour into that evening, there was a knock at the door. They opened the door, and there were two, two policemen standing there, and, and they gave them the news that the father had, and mother had been hit by a drunk driver, and Hal's father was dead, and his mother was in critical condition, and they weren't sure she was going to survive. They brought the kids out to the porch, and the neighbors had gathered around, and they said, somebody needs to take these kids today and tonight, because otherwise we have to take them down to the station, and we're not sure what we're going to do. The Davises raised their hands and said, well, we'll take them tonight. The Davises lived in a, a single wide, said, we can, we can manage that tonight. And so they managed it that night, and, and then the next night, and then the next week, and then the next month, and then and the next month, and the next month. And about nine to ten months later, Hal's mom came back from the hospital, and 10 of them lived in this single wide. And it became abject poverty as the Davises spent all their savings and would work double shifts at the quarry. Hal said for the first time in his life he felt poverty. Hal eventually became a successful sports writer. 
He became a, a successful author and had the opportunity to go to Calcutta, India to write a book on some folks who were helping those who were destitute. And they said, if you want to know about us, you've got to know somebody who's really influenced us. So they set up an appointment with Mother Teresa. And while Hal was interviewing Mother Teresa, she said something that changed his trajectory for the rest of his life. Mother Teresa turned to Hal and said, Hal, what are you doing for the poor and suffering? And he said, you know, I realize you can't lie to Mother Teresa. So he said, I, I'm not doing anything. And she said, everybody can do something. Just go do the next kind thing God puts in front of you. You may not be able to feed 100, but you can feed one. Hal left there and came back to the United States, went to about eight different large cities in America and lived with the homeless to understand their condition. Then he came back to Northern California and grabbed his brothers and loaded up his pickup truck and began to feed the migrant workers in Northern California, and that began what is known as this movement called Convoy of Hope in 1994. And what began with three men in a truck now has turned into serving over 163 million people, empowering over 46,000 women. Yeah. Delivering over $1.39 billion worth of supplies to those who are in need and feeding over 400,000 children every school day. You say, but how did that happen from there to there? A little over 25 years, how did that happen? I simply got to tell you that it's, it's Jesus who's done it because it's his heart. Well, what is Jesus' heart? To understand that, we need to go back to the end, to the end of this story. We've started with Jason, and, and here's what it says. Go home to your friends... Jesus talking to Jason, and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had what? Compassion. Say that word, compassion. How he's had compassion on you. So the Jews called that word bowels of mercy. You wouldn't be excited if you showed up this morning and saw the title of the sermon, Healthy Bowels, unless you're having a procedure this week. The first century said that this was the center of, of pity, and love. Paul the Apostle, writing to a very successful church in Corinth, said this, hey, look, I understand that you're doing well and that you're having miracles and that you are, you are having these, these prophetic things happen and you'd be able to discern things and it's been great, but I'm going to tell you, if you don't have this, then you sound like the squeaky brakes on an old truck and no one's going to want to listen to you. John, a follower of Jesus, said, For God so loved the world that he gave his son to come to engage with people. Compassion is the heart of Jesus because compassion engages every person, no matter what tomb they're in. What does a person who's compassionate look like? There is this prophet named Isaiah who had this image of God, this, this real life happening in, in, in front of him where he saw God himself on a throne in this place we call heaven, but it's this, this thing of incredible dimension. And, and here is God. And what's happening is that there are these creatures and there are these people who are with God that were human and they're before God, and they're crying out these words, holy, holy, holy. Now, I grew up in what was called the holiness movement. And basically, to me, holy meant the stuff you can't do. So it doesn't sound very fun for me to sit before God forever and ever going, 
We can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. We can't do this. But the word actually means this, other. And so these, these, these elders who are in front of this God look up and they go, other, 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 meaning this, that there is a dimension of you I never knew existed beyond the 3D that I live in. This is to say that there are 12 dimensions, and I think God says, he laughs at it and says, there's more than that. And, and he said, they, they look at it and they go, look at the dimension, look at the thing that we never knew, look at the beauty, look at, well, we, it's so, so amazing, we can't keep looking, and they put their heads back down. Then they look their heads, putting their heads back up, and they look again, and they go, oh, another new dimension, other, 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 other. And God's dimension is so great that the scripture tells us that forever and ever and ever, every time we look up God, we're going to see another dimension that we never knew was there. And it'll be amazing for us to try to take that in. So Isaiah is seeing this, and he says, this is so, so great. I'm built for this, but, but I can't go there because I'm all messed up. And God says, here, let me, let me take care of that. And he takes this coal from his altar and cleanses his lips. But here's what we know. It is out of the heart the mouth speaks. So he didn't just cleanse the lips. He cleansed the heart. Jeremiah told us he would do that when Jesus came. And what Jesus would do, he would take our heart of hardness against God and hardness against each other and would make it soft and pliable so that we could learn how to have compassion with God and compassion on God's behalf with other people. Because we are built to do that. We are the image of God. It's his divine mindset that he's placed within us. It is called compassion. Isaiah describes that compassion this way. He says, God says this, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I've written your name in the palms of my hands. So after being married for five years, my wife and I, Pamela and I, uh, we had a baby girl. Well, actually, she had the baby girl. I helped a little, but not much. <laughs> and so we have this, this, this child, and I'm just so confused what to do with the child because I, I live a linear life, and, and everything's in structure and order, and there is nothing structure and order about a, about a being that is loud at one end and irresponsible at the other. And, and, and so it's just, in fact, I came home from the hospital, sat back in my recliner, and said, oh, God, what did we make? What is this? So we, we took Christy to church, and there was a nursery, and we put her in the nursery, and there was a bunch of other screaming banshees in there also. <laughs> and a little later, we walked by the nursery, and Pam heard all the screaming. She said, that's Christy. I said, how do you, that's like a 747. What do you, well, how can you determine that's Christy? She said, I know my baby. I know her cry. And she could do this. She could interpret the cry. She'd say, she's hungry. Her diaper's dirty. She's afraid. She's crawling for you to get the baby and bring her to me so I can nurse, so get up. I said, I don't think she's crying that at all. <laughs> because it was this understanding, this compassion. When Christy was a toddler, we, would, we had this routine, usually on Sunday morning after service, we had some friends that would invite us over a couple of times every month. They're Italian. They make incredible Italian food. And you know that generally what I found is Italians don't begin the meal until after service, and then you start cooking it, and then it's a whole day affair which is just wonderful. They had a toddler a little older than Christy. His name is Mikey, and Mikey was 
big, and Mikey was a bully. And so Christy would have something, and Mikey would come up and just jank it, and Christy would cry, and Mikey's parents would go, ah, it's no big deal. You don't think it's no deal? So one day, I was sitting at their counter while they're cooking, and as they're making the pasta, little Mikey walks by me, and I'm on a stool, and at that moment, God took my leg. He had just ripped something from Christy. She was screaming, and my leg went forward under the direction of the Holy Spirit. I thumped him on his little padded diaper and pulled him up into the air, and he screamed, and Debbie turned around and said, what happened? I said, I have no idea. Here's the deal. Now hear me. If you're a follower of Jesus, and he's begun to change you, Your heart has been made and created to be compassionate. You now have the ability to hear the cry of pain and begin to discern how to fix it and how to protect the marginalized. It is inside of you. So Jesus, there crossing the margin, says to Jason, what's your name? And this ugly voice comes out and says, we are legion. Legion is 6,000 soldiers, so there's a whole lot of evil inside this man. And they know that Jesus has the power to cast them out. And so they say, don't send us to the pit, because the scripture says eventually all demons will be in the pit. They don't want to go yet, but they have to have a body to go into. They said, can we go into these pigs? And Jesus said, you can go there. They go into the swine, and the pigs run down the hill and into the lake, and they all drown. Here's what happened next. The herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran, and people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. And those who had seen what had happened told others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away, leave them alone. Jason is no longer a wild man, he's a new man. Jesus has just cast out a community of demons and answered a question nobody had the courage to ask. And the question was this, what's Jason worth? And according to Jesus, he was worth 2,000 pigs. You say, well, what's the deal? Those 2,000 pigs were a major part of the economy of that community because when they died, they lost close to $500,000 worth of income, of revenue. And if the people who had gathered to see what had happened were not so fearful of the cost of compassion, they would have stayed with Jesus long enough to find out that, that God himself would say, You are worth my own son. That's how compassion works. What is needed, I will give so that others will live. Compassion sees value. What is a child worth? Is a child worth two lattes? Because you see, it only costs $10 a month to feed a child in school. That's all. What is a woman experiencing abuse and gender inequality worth? For a thousand bucks, 
she can walk through a process where she gains her value in Jesus and begins to understand her rights and begins to learn a trade and begins to start a business. What is a farmer worth that has to choose which child gets to eat that day? What is a region worth? Here's your story. I listened last week. 12 significant global missions partners, 25 significant domestic missions partners. In 2025, by that time, eight campuses. An offering of $500,000 this month and, and through April. And in the last four years, you have given through Convoy of Hope $39,000. And here's what your generosity has helped make possible. Check this out. People in this village has been living here for hundreds of years. Suddenly in 2015, this uh, devastating earthquake uh, struck here. Everything was destroyed and uh, they had nothing left. That day, I feel like I'm dead. My children were down in the city and my husband was in India, working. So I was alone here. We didn't know who was alive and who was dead. Whatever they have left, all the crops, everything was uh, covered under the debris, so they uh, had lost everything. When we saw the children, they were malnourished and very weak, so we felt uh, this is a very deserving community to be helped and to be served. In the beginning, there was nothing. I still remember the first day when we fed the children, uh, our goal was, we want to make this community sustainable. Daily meal is very important. We feed children at the school, but how about in the evening food? How about other family members? Because of the devastation from the earthquake, all the people are suffering. Therefore, we thought, you know, that agriculture would be the main component here. During that time, I had a meeting with the whole community. When I was talking to the people, I began to share some of the visions that they can grow tea, they can grow many other uh, gas crops here. Uh, the young people can move back to their own villages and uh, we can bring life in this village again. It was very difficult for the people to accept what I said because they were living in a hopeless situation. But uh, in midst of that, uh, some of the leaders began to uh, realize oh, this organization is very different. But gradually when he started that, then people began to see the positive side. And when that uh, farmers began to collect money, their eyes were so big. Everybody opened their eyes. Once they started to grow something, then that created some kind of habit to have every day fresh vegetables from their own yard. I'm happy when I see my goats and my crops. I'm happy now. Now, most of the families, they have their own kitchen garden. They are bringing some of the vegetables to the school. They bring and they share. That's how the mothers are mobilized. We have provided banana, lemon saplings, and then orange saplings. We provided cardamom seedlings. Last year, from the tomatoes alone, our village made 150,000 US dollars. We provided uh, African boyer goat for the breeding. 
Then we provide a cow, Palestinian cow also to some farmers and now most of those cows have given birth and that's going very well. Now we have a milk here. Uh, right now, you know, after a year, they will have uh, 800,000 tea saplings and uh, they are marketing now. The tea from Kimtang is in a very high demand. Young people are returning to the place and they are farming tomatoes since last year. They made a very good money from that and this year they want to add another 100 uh, tunnels and they have already uh, decided to have a group farming together, uh, you know, as a cooperative and they're ready to work hard. In the past, when we grew millet and corn, we used to earn like 1,500 rupees. That's all. But now, from this little tunnel, we can earn 50 to 60,000 rupees. That means from that amount, I can feed my whole family for a year. We came here after the devastation. During that hard time, the challenging time, we never hesitated to accept it. Uh, that is the intimation, that's the relation that we have here. Since Convoy of Hope came to our village, I have learned that there is so much we can do in this village. I will definitely continue and work because my eyes are open now. I see this village is a very live village now. It's full of young people, children, you know, families, young couples and old people, you know, all smiling, all doing their you know, work and they, they, they find hope and they find a, a reason to live here. They, they have a purpose to live here now. I know this village will be precious village. This village will be some kind of a model village in this country that other surrounding people will learn from this village. Kim Tung's story. The rest of the story is this, that Kim Tung, well, to be honest with you, we're no longer there because the church in Kim Tung said, we can do this now. Go do what you've done for us someplace else. And so we moved 30 miles down the road and began in another community because it's strategic, it's sustainable. One of the places we moved to is Guatemala. In the Pantun region, you're going to assist. For $25,000, what's going to happen in that region is that, first of all, that the schools will have opportunity to develop agricultural programs for the kids. Kids who would be on the garbage dump, but because they get fed in school, now come to school so they can get an education. And there they learn agricultural principles, and there they get a Bible, and there they are discipled in following Jesus. It will empower women to start businesses. Farming techniques will be given, and when the yields increase, 10% of what they take in on their yield, they give back to feed the children in their own community. The goal for 2022 is to train 45 farmers. That's 45 families. Do you realize what 45 families who are prospering in agriculture will do for a region? 
that the capitalist was worth $500,000. Jesus said to Jason, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he's had compassion on you. Jason, go into those 10 cities and, and, and show them what compassion did for you. And you show them compassion. As they see compassion, they'll understand that God is in this place. Compassion brings hope, and hope introduces people to the rescuer. Compassion brings hope. And as followers of Jesus, that's his story, so it's our story. You know, Isaiah, once his heart was changed, he heard something he never heard before. He heard God say, who will go, who shall I send? Which means now his heart was open to find people who needed to know God in whatever dimension they needed him. Quite honestly, compassionate generosity is a holy moment. Because doing the next kind thing, whether it's to your neighbor or sacrificially giving so you have $500,000 so that you can reach out in those places that God has placed on your heart and the heart of your leadership, that is a holy moment. The next kind thing reveals Emmanuel. God is with us here. We are the incarnation of Jesus in this world. We are a thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn for people who didn't know there was a future. That's Jesus' story. And that's our story. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their compassion. I thank you for their vision. I thank you for their gracefulness. And I pray as as each person here thinks about what you're calling them to do, even tomorrow, just to be kind to someone that before had been outside the margin, I pray that you will not only give them the courage to move forward, but the resource to make it happen and the faith to believe that you'll take care of them. And I pray that what they have envisioned for these next years will come to pass and that they will be they will be the incarnation of your compassion in this region and around the world. From neighbors to nations, we give you thanks for what you're doing in them and through them. In the name of Jesus, amen.